we can't with your technologies because in this space, the technology is just so fast, you could be left behind if you're not trying with the technology stack. So, because that is the future of GBS, or we call it DBS, Digital Business Services. Welcome to the GBS Masterminds Podcast, the one and only platform for global business service leaders to share their experiences of building world-class shared service organizations. My name is Sashi Narahari, founder and CEO of HiRadius, and I'll be your host. Today, I'm honored to host AJ Vijay Singhe, a business leader with over 20 years of experience in developing best-in-class operating models and managing global dispersed diverse teams. AJ is currently serving as Vice President of Shared Services at Univar Solutions. AJ, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Sashi, for having me. All right, AJ, why don't we get started? Tell us a little bit about yourself and your career journey. Absolutely. So I was uh, born and raised in Sri Lanka. I spent a lot of time in Dubai as well. My dad used to work there. So I uh, came to U.S. for my higher studies. After uh, uni, I joined uh, Accenture as an intern and uh, then at, in U.S. And actually, I made a career out of eventually going into TCS and Arwato on the service provider side. I honestly didn't know what outsourcing or shared services was until I did the internship. That's how I got introduced to the industry. And at Arwato, I had Microsoft as a customer. One, probably the best uh, experiences that uh, I've had all throughout as a customer and setting up the whole contract cash process for them. I had global roles all throughout my career. In my last role before Univar Solutions at uh, Johns Lang LaSalle, uh, JLL, the, re- the real estate company, I got into a model where it's about 75% of the work was done offshore in a 2,500 people organization. Within two years, uh, we also became one of the top 20 most admired GBS organizers in the world, recognized by Shed Service Outsourcing Network. I've worked in the GBS realm on the captive side in the real estate industry, along with high tech. Now I'm in chemical and manufacturing. So I have a wide industry experience uh, all throughout my career. Love to travel. My career allowed me, fortunately, to travel all around the globe and, of course, in U.S., but COVID is a fun killer in many ways. It did not allow us to travel or me to travel as much as, as I would have liked to in the past couple of years, but good to be back on the road again. Sports standpoint, big uh, fan of cricket and college basketball, and I love to play tennis and table tennis with my daughter uh, at my uh, downtime. Always thought I would be a banker in Dubai uh, when I grew up. Didn't know anything other than that in the finance industry. Wasn't even aware about outsourcing and shared services at that time, as I mentioned before, until I started my internship with Accenture. So that uh, is a bit of my background. Awesome. Very unique. Aspirational banker to GBS leader. That's a good story. (laughs) AJ, so I'm going to ask you the $6 million questions that are most debated in the GBS world today. Let me start with the first one. The first one is around the captive center model versus outsourcing. You have been actively involved in outsourcing activities. In fact, you've been on the vendor side. Now you're on the customer side. Looks like you've seen all the models. What's your current take on which model is best, outsource or captive? Yeah, making my living, uh, early part of my career, uh, working for organizations like Accenture and TCS, telling organizations like uh, Inua Solutions that you've done everything you can, it's time to outsource. I say that now 
majority of my career being on the captive side. I would prefer the captive side in the context that I'm in now. And uh, but we are using a built operate transfer, also known as a BOT model, to fast track standing up and then take them uh, over as a captive approach, which has worked for us, which is pretty unique because I grew up, like I said, in outsourcing. And when I got to the captive side of it, I felt that the hybrid model uh, is the right way to go. Over time, the market has matured in a way that captive model uh, works uh, really well. However, you know that in a hybrid model is what I meant, and the captive, you are limited in talent. So outsource partners will be able to bring different industry perspectives and experiences that you will not be able to get in a short period of time, which helps us to uh, make it faster to scale and realize the savings. Now, the processes that are non-client facing and standardized or rules-based is where we look to just to go into an offshore or a near shore location, which will work as an extension of our onshore team. Examples are like accounts payable or accounts receivable activities. Uh, the pros that are that we don't have to come up with upfront money uh, in a partner relationship that we have. The partner makes investments, then we take over the cost when they transfer over. Now, that has something that we found that the big suppliers in the, the the giants of the BPO would not do. However, we found this uh, IT partner we had taking up that challenge uh, to partner with us to agree on a BOT model. And most amazingly, we did this in the middle of a pandemic and it was very successful. Gotcha. That's very unique, the build-operate transfer. You don't have to say the name of the vendor, but I think the audience could really benefit. What is the initial contract? Is it like a couple of years and then you completely take over? Yeah, it's a two-year contract or the scale that we put in as a number of 50s that we bring in. So because it's a win-win for both parties. And then post that, uh, how we go about on the operating model and uh, the way that we have it is actually we're going to be using their facilities and some of the infrastructure. The people become our people. Uh, so it's a two-year uh, minimum or the number of uh, FTs that we have, whichever comes sooner, is the way that we scale, we uh, plan. Since it's probably not a tier one vendor who would be willing to agree to your terms, is there any negative associated with that versus somebody who's been there, done that? Or did you feel any 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 challenges? There is absolutely a downside if you don't have the experience doing this on your own. So in this case, the combination is uh, my partner provides the infrastructure and the people on the ground, the model, the, what, the, what the consultants would do. I'm doing it with my experience and I have a team of folks who's done this before. So we come together to fill that void. If you don't have that part, then you need to go with a, a supplier who can do both. Otherwise, uh, you're going to have some challenges. Got it. Very interesting. That's a good natural dovetail to the next question, the second million dollar question. And I'm curious what you did in this case or in general, your recommendation around harmonize and standardize first or lift and shift first, a classic debate. I'm curious uh, how you think about it. It's a classic debate and a question that's been around for a good uh, 15, 20 years. And the first half of it, I would say lift and shift, especially if I was on the provider side. Uh, and it did work for the organization, depending on the priorities and the time frame that you're looking to uh, get get going and, and realize the savings. In our case, we did a lift and shift uh, in parallel with the system migration, uh, which is SAP in our case, uh, from the mainframe. And it, it worked. Now, 
it worked, but also no one told us it's going to be done in the middle of a pandemic. So we had some challenges around the training and knowledge transfer. And it was also, it worked. It was 100% on show in this instance, right? Uh, the, the, the preferred view that if you look at it, we should optimize the processes, digitize first, because that will help you to be able to realize savings faster. But having them all under one organization and having control over the end-to-end process or majority of it helps you accelerate that goal and, and the initiative there. So being in control of your scope is something that I would say that is important. If performance is measured based on dollars or business outcome, then you focus on optimizing process in parallel with lift and shift because you need both of them going. Lift and shift will last for that savings is instant that's going to get there, but the overall value proposition and delivery of the value to the organization will come from continuous improvement and optimization of process and digitization in this day and age. Right. So that's where I, I believe that industry has now shifted from heavy lift and shift focus to harmonize and standardize first uh, or in parallel to, to land as a strategy. All right. The next million dollar question is RPA. So heavily debated topic. I feel like many GBS leaders struggle with scaling the number of RPA boards beyond a certain stage. Having worked with automation technologies across various shared service organizations, what is your recommendation on using RPA in GBS? Uh, as a starter, I would say there's value of RPA. And our, however, RPA came out with lots of hype. Everybody get excited when you talk about robotics. Uh, everybody wanted to create a bot and wanted a bot. They started naming bots, all that. I've had uh, successes and failures in both ways uh, in, with, through multiple vendors uh, because I was an early adopter uh, when I was at JLL. Now, I always believe in putting good technology to a bad process is not, uh, not going to help uh, because you blame the technology, not the process, but it's the other way around. Uh, that is true for RPA or otherwise in any automation, right? So in our case, we have a process excellence center of expertise that is in place where we drive to optimize the process first, then automate, while making sure it is also adopted and measured in steady state so that we know it's delivering the results that you look for. In our case, also, that we SAP is what we have as our ERP. We look to automate the process always within the ERP. If you can optimize it, optimize within the system. And then, if it's not possible, bring in RPA as a bridge, not the other way around. Right? So we have a very good discipline around that. Any enhancement that comes in, we look to get it through SAP first before we go there. An example would be billing customers through uh, their uh, vendor portals. We have that automated through RPA. So like I said, we have a rigorous process to select the right processes that are qualifying for RPA versus any process that we look to put it out there. Uh, right now, we got about 10 bots and some of uh, some in billing, like I mentioned with the customer portals, some in the reporting uh, on AP side, and have about another 20 in our pipeline, various different processes that we look to be able to get there. Got it. Interesting perspectives. Million dollar question number four, AJ. Cost cutting to revenue driver. What, according to you, is the secret recipe for transforming GBS from a cost cutting focus to a revenue growth strategy? Amazing part is, you know, over the last 15, 20 years, it remains as a cost-cutting exercise as a starting point for most organizations. Our leadership would say, be effective first before you become efficient. And industry to industry, there's 
uh, shift of how we just drive it there in our organization offshore is in a large scale offshore doesn't work because it's a chemical distribution industry. Customer service is a very critical role, very client facing, and that has to be there with some local knowledge that is required. So we also have the order to cash process. So we would be focusing on, you know, capturing orders more efficiently and delivering goods on time and improving customer experience, as an example. That is where revenue driving strategy comes from because we are not the back office. One of the famous GBS leaders would say there's no back office, front office, there's one office. So to that extent, we just want to make sure that we are part of the revenue strategy. We are in the very front of the, of the curve. So therefore, cutting the cost too deep may actually impact the customer experience. Well, firstly, it's going to impact the employee experience. As a result, it's going to impact the customer experience. All right. The next question is core ERP versus modern cloud platforms. Everyone is confused about when everybody has a default SAP or Oracle or an ERP system. And then you have all these modern niche software companies like Hyredis is one of them as an example. There is Coupa, Blackline and others. Having worked with both ERP and cloud technologies, in your view, what is the trade-off? I believe SaaS or cloud solutions are complementary technologies that uh, specialize in respective functions versus uh, competition to ERP because they coexist. For example, if you look at order to cash, treasury, record report processes versus uh, point solutions for each process like collections uh, and disputes, having a, a SaaS-driven specialized uh, software helps. Now, also, what you find in some of the major ERPs is that they lack workflow. So the workflow is required in a certain process that will come in a SaaS cloud solution. So I always uh, would prefer to have that bolt on. Now, having a good API is critical. So it's a smooth play because you start the transaction, finish it in the, in the application that way you go, like collections on order to cash process. So... Overall, we have good success with the RPO SaaS platforms, uh, how it coexists, and I believe they coexist and should continue to coexist. Key to success is that having a good understanding of the end-to-end process then configuring the technology um, to orchestrate a well-thought-out end-to-end process so that it runs smoothly and seamlessly between ERP and the SaaS cloud systems. All right. Last but not the least, what would be... AJ, your parting advice for the listeners, maybe to your younger self when you started in shared services or maybe your peers or your, your GBS employees? Absolutely. It's a great question. Having a process-driven mindset has helped me, which has uh, also helped me is that being open to get very different experiences when you're building your career. When I was at Accenture, I focused on not moving up, more moving laterally so that I can get as much experience as I could get, which really paid off with the latter part of my career. And some would say, be a specialist is the way to go. I would say for those who like that, it works for them. For me, being a generalist, uh, though I'm a finance guy, has worked for me. Uh, so do- being domain agnostic, and it's critical, not only being a process-driven uh, mindset, having someone uh, with that, also, be current with your technologies because in this space, the technology changes so fast, you could be left behind if you're not current with the technology stack. So, because that is the future of GBS, 
or we call it DBS, digital business services. And then finally, make sure you have the right sponsorship within the organization, getting strong support from your senior leaders all the way to the C-suite. And the board is critical for success in this transformational change-driven profession that we all adore and build careers on. So that would be my advice to those uh, any rookies in GBS and also the veterans that are trying to uh, scale to a higher level. Absolutely. I'm going, to, I'm going to reinforce the generalist comment of yours from a recent uh, board discussion I had. And my board asked me, like, what do you think should be the profile of your next level reportees, my leaders that report to me? And I said, I want all of them to be generalists. Like, what? How can you have generalists for like head of marketing, head of sales? I said, the thing is, the world is changing so rapidly that if somebody is just cookie cutter, one deep expertise, that's great. You get a benefit, but then they cannot adapt to the fast changing conditions around the world. So I was like, I do think you need to have the expertise, but you need to be generalist enough to be able to morph and adapt to the rate at which the world is changing. Absolutely. Completely agree. All right, AJ, this has been a very insightful conversation. Thank you. It was a delight to have you on the GBS Masterminds today. Likewise, Sashian. Thank you for having me. That was the GBS Masterminds podcast. For more information, visit gbsmasterminds.com and make sure to search for GBS Masterminds in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And on behalf of the team here at High Radius, thanks for listening.